Welcome to the Redemption 10P podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. I'm your host, AC, and I am joined today by two of my favorite people. They're both brilliant, well-spoken. They both have this innate ability to see people and to make people who are on the outside feel like they're part of the inside. Very, very humble. Very, very dear friends of mine, Emma Tautolo and John Crawford. You guys say hi. Hey, everybody. What's up? Glad to be with you. Awesome. Awesome. So as you guys know, we're going through this uh, sermon series called Love Walked Among Us, and we are looking at the life of Jesus as presented in the Gospels and Mm -hmm. asking the question, what does it look like to walk as Jesus walked? You know, 1 John 2 says, anybody who says he abides in him must walk as he walked. And so what does that look like? How did Jesus live? And so that's the intent of this series. And as you guys know, if you've been listening to the podcast, this is an extension of the sermon series, just an, a, another place to have a conversation. This week, the title is Blinded by Legalism. Now, what's fascinating to me is that in the Christian world, there are words that almost have no meaning because they have so many different potential meanings. The three of us were actually just having lunch before recording this uh, with a guy from Utah, and he was talking about his experiences evangelizing to Mormons and how the word forgiveness, for example, has a completely different meaning when a Mormon says it versus when a Christian says it. And that makes sense because it's two different religions. But even within the Christian world, there are these words that, depending on who's using them, have a different meaning. And I feel like legalism is one of those words. What do you mean when you say legalism? So the first thing we want to do is just define our terms and ask the question, what is legalism? Emma, go ahead, take a stab at it. What what is legalism? Let's take a stab. Okay, so when I think of legalism, I think a lot of conversations um, I've gotten into around this word before are like, because we look at legalism, right, kind of like this excessive, crazy, dogmatic adherence to to a law. But then people are like, they they often talk about, they kind of... Put legalism parallel to obedience. And it's like, well, God desires obedience. But I think the difference between legalism is like God wants us to act out of love, obedience out of love and not just to follow law or almost like legalism could even be, I feel like an over-reliance on morality um, versus Mm. that I follow God or I obey God because of a motivation of love. And so I think that's kind of what legalism is. And then you connect that to self-righteousness because if you're able to follow all the laws really well because you're super legalistic, then you're like, oh, well, I'm kind of that dude then, or I'm that girl. So you sort of have a puffed up view of yourself because you're able to legalistically follow all the laws. Um, So I just think it's pretty much the opposite of a love motivation or a motivation of grace. Mm. Yeah, Emma, I think that's so good. And piggybacking off something you said is that really legalism actually ends up being something that you can accomplish. And if you accomplish it, then you can begin to think that you're actually better than people that haven't accomplished it. And so that's where it starts to produce the self-righteousness, I think. And really, like with legalism too, how I've seen it often play out is that it's law-keeping for the sake of Mm law-keeping. That it's like keeping the law is actually the end and of itself. And so really what happens is it turns Christianity into a list of do's and don'ts, all for the purpose of trying to earn the acceptance and approval of God. And so it's, if you do these good things, then you'll be in good standing with God. Or if you don't do these bad things, then you'll be accepted and essentially loved by God. And Mm -hmm. so it's this do's and don'ts. And the people that are actually able to keep those laws often become self-righteous because it's something that they've accomplished. And then it's really easy to look down upon those that haven't accomplished it. 
Mm, that's really good. John, what would you say is like the connection between legalism and self-righteousness? Are they synonyms? Are they different? Yeah, so I think that self-righteousness flows out of legalism. It can because if you have a set of moral standards or a set of rules or laws that you're trying to accomplish, if you do that, then it actually becomes this kind of self-righteousness that you've done it on your own. But more than that, I think that there's there's a link that's deeper at the root, and that link's pride. Mm. And for oftentimes, those that are self-righteous, it creates this mentality that we're better than those um, others, and that flows from pride, and it's linked directly to legalism. Absolutely. And so I, I think that, that there's a link, but what I often see happening is that self-righteousness is actually kind of flowing out of legalism. Mm. Mm. And as I said in the beginning, the whole reason we're doing this is to look at Jesus's life in the Gospels and, and really draw from that. And how do we image Christ as believers, as individuals, and as a community? But backtracking for a second, do we see Jesus in the Gospels calling out legalism? And if so, where? I think that we do. Here's, a, here's <laughs> the thing. I think we see him calling out legalism, often calling the Pharisees out for it. Yeah. And I think the Pharisees maybe get the worst rap in the New Testament. But the Pharisees, in their defense, they were people who were trying to honor the law of the Lord. And so they had all these laws given in the Old Testament that they were, that the people of Israel, that God's people were supposed to abide by to to form a people, to a clean people, justified to be a blessing to the nations. But mm. um, so you see things like in Mark 7, Jesus eating with the disciples and the Pharisees being present and them saying, hey, uh, why aren't you guys, why, why are you guys not eating and following the law of, because their hands were not washed and not clean. Yeah. And so they were calling out Jesus and the disciples for that. And then Jesus uh, says to them, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God to hold the tradition of men. So he's like mm. saying, hey, you guys, your hearts are not even right before me. Your hearts are not trying to honor me, but yet you're trying to follow a law. Hmm. Um, and so not saying that that law was not significant at one point in time, but Jesus is like, yo, I'm here. I'm the fulfillment of the law. Your heart is not surrendered to me as Yahweh, but yet right now, all you care about is following a law. And hmm. so Jesus is constantly calling the Pharisees out in the New Testament. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm reminded of Matthew 23. There, there's these seven woes to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. And uh, one of those woes where Jesus says to the Pharisees, woe to you, um, you tithe, mint, dill, cumin, all these spices that they're even tithing, not only just their money and their finances, but they're actually tithing out of their spices. But then Jesus says, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and mm-hmm. faithfulness. And then the next woe, he says, woe to you, you're clean on the outside as far as this appearance. They're adhering to these laws, legalism, like that's what we're seeing. They have this appearance that they're clean on the outside, but actually on the inside, they're greedy and they're self-indulgent. And I, I think we see this when Jesus heals on the Sabbath. They actually, the Pharisees and the scribes, religious leaders, they actually want to have Jesus killed because he's doing these acts of mercy on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was intended to provide rest, true rest for the people of God. And now what the Pharisees and religious leaders have done with the Sabbath, which is supposed to be a beautiful thing, 
that was actually supposed to alleviate the burdens of God's people, they've actually Mm -hmm. turned it into a burden and saying that you can't do these things. And really the woe that they have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness, that by them being so opposed to Jesus doing an act of mercy on the Sabbath, Jesus is now essentially indicting them and calling them out saying, woe to you. You guys are missing it. You're concerned with the external, the outward appearance, but internally you guys are completely missing it. You know, I think about when the disciples were picking grain in the field on the Sabbath and the Pharisees called them out for it. And Jesus said, didn't you read? And I love that because that was their job. I know it's me, probably my culture reading into what Jesus said, but he sounds very sarcastic. He says, um, have you not read when David ate the bread that was not lawful for him to eat? And I feel like that's an illustration that just really cuts the heart of legalism because here's this rule that was a very serious rule in the Old Testament that people weren't just supposed to just like stroll into the tabernacle or the temple and just start munching down on bread off the table, that the bread was set aside for a specific reason. It was a part of worship. But in this situation, David and his boys are hungry, they're out on the run, they don't really have anything, and so the priest gives him that bread to eat. Hmm. Because the whole idea behind the law, whether it's Sabbath or bread laws, it's for people. Yeah, People are not made to obey laws, the laws are made for our benefit and our flourishing. And the Pharisees seem to really miss that. And I think that a lot of times, when we are legalistic or self-righteous, we miss things like that. We don't see clearly. Hmm. Hence the title of our podcast today, Blinded by Legalism. So my question, Emma, is on an individual level, how are we blinded by legalism? Or to use the terms in the book, Love Walked Among Us, how does self-righteousness block compassion? I think, AC, it's a lot of what you just said. Even though, like, I think when someone asks you, just point blank, do you think you're better than them? Mm. Of course, we'd be like, no, I, I don't think I'm better than them. But the reality is, if I am self-righteous, if I think that I can follow all the rules and I actually have followed all the rules and that person really hasn't, and so I can't see, I'm completely blind to be able to see who they are like, I think honestly, self-righteousness and legalism, it makes us dehumanize others unintentionally. We don't mean to do it, but we just think, well, I've done this, so why Why couldn't they have? Like, they, they've had the same. They could have made these decisions, but they made those decisions. And so their life is a result of their decisions. And I'm so blind to the other things that may be going on behind the scenes that would be like, hey, gospel response would lean with the foot of compassion right now. I also think, um, like I think about this story with Simon and the woman. And in the story, the woman doesn't have a name. Um, when Jesus basically calls out Simon, it doesn't have a response in the story. But I think some of that is we're able to see that we are the woman in the story, that we're very much in need of God's grace and love and forgiveness. But I'm also Simon, right? Like you think about even the story of the prodigal son, um, where we can read that story and be like, Yes, the younger son, he definitely misses the father. He's looking for life separate of the father. And it's so easy for us to see that. It's harder, I think, for us to see like, oh, but the older son, he misses the father just as much, if not more, than the younger son in the story of the prodigal son. And so just, we can't see. It makes us blind. Yeah, that reminds me, just just yesterday, I was having a conversation with a guy. And we we were just talking, and he was sharing about 
how he was hungry and was looking to go get food. And so I was like, oh, yeah, you know, where, where are you going to go? And he was talking about I wanted to get a burger. And so I was like, oh, you're going to go grab a burger somewhere at a drive through. And, and, you know, he proceeded to tell me and I was kind of taken back, but it, it really illustrates this self-righteousness and how deep it goes. He told me that he doesn't go to drive throughs or to fast food restaurants because he doesn't want to have to deal with or argue with people that make minimum wage because they're not intelligent. Um, and so really what, what I heard in that was him classify and categorize hundreds of thousands of people that work in uh, the food service industry and fast food, classify them as lesser than him as not as intelligent because this guy has gotten an education, has a good job, makes a certain income. And so because of that, his own self-righteousness that doesn't have anything to necessarily do with his uh, religious conviction or faith, just about how he's living his daily life, his self-righteousness makes him think that he's better than other people. He feels entitled and then looks at other people that don't have what he has as far as they should have worked harder, they should have gone to school and gotten an education, whatever it may be, this guy now looks as if they're less than him simply because of the job that they hold. The danger of self-righteousness, one of many, is the way that it blinds you. And So here's this guy who doesn't see the value of the people around him, that they're creating the image of God because of the posture of his heart. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even see himself the right way yeah, because he has an exalted, distorted view of himself. And it's easy, it's easier to have this conversation when we picture what this looks like on an individual level. And a lot of times when we read, let's say, Paul's epistles, and a lot of his epistles will have sections of ethical instruction. And when we read those things, we oftentimes will think of on an interpersonal level what it looks like. But Paul never says hey, I'm only talking about interpersonal relationships when I talk about this is the way that the church should look like. Yeah. He doesn't say that. He doesn't imply that. But we kind of read that into there. A lot of times we don't think about, well, what does this look like on a community-wide level? Mm. What does this look like at a systemic level? Yeah. And so when you think about self-righteousness and legalism, blocking compassion and distorting the way we view ourselves and viewing others, how do we see that to be true on a systemic level? Yeah, I think first is important as we talk through self-righteousness that we call it what it is, that it, it is sin. And with sin, we often do think of the interpersonal, the individual kind of my own moral failure or whatever it may be when we talk about our individual sin. But we know that sin is not just individual, but it's also cosmic in scope, that it's radically disrupted not only our individual lives, it's radically disrupted the entire world. And because of that, we know that it's radically disrupted systems and structures, meaning that there are actually systems and structures in our world that have been radically influenced and distorted by evil and sin. And so one of the ways that I see this playing out and it's a pretty hot topic issue, especially in our state, because there's there's a lot of stuff going on around it, even within um, legislation um, over the last couple of years. But it's uh, predatory lending, um, the system of predatory lending, also known as payday loans. You usually see them in lower income neighborhoods, um, and it usually gives you a pretty good idea of the socioeconomic status of the area that you're in if there's a lot of payday loan places. And so predatory lending, the way that self-righteousness kind of plays out at this systemic level with predatory lending is that the people that have 
as far as the people that are living at a higher socioeconomic status um, don't even realize or even see those that don't have. And what I mean by that is the number of people that I've talked to that don't even know what predatory lending is. They're like, I've never heard of that. And it's like, okay, well, it's probably because you've never been impacted by it. Um, but not only that, the people that I know that haven't ever actually been impacted by it, but they know about it, many people don't care because it kind of plays out this way. You live at a higher socioeconomic status. And once again, when we're talking about self-righteousness, it leads to entitlement. Entitlement means that you completely lose sight of grace, which leads to a posture of gratitude, knowing that God has given us everything we have. And so you miss grace altogether. And so the people that have think that they earned it because they did whatever it may be. They got the education, they got the training, they got the job, and they've worked their way up the ladder. Quote unquote, they pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. And so where we see this self-righteousness playing out on a systemic level is the blindness. The blindness to compassion, it leads to a posture that lacks compassion because here's what I've often heard in this discussion is that the people that are now using the predatory lending services, they're getting payday loans, that's their own fault. They got themselves in that situation. They made poor financial decisions. They should have gotten a better job. They should have gotten an education. They shouldn't have had so many kids, whatever it may be, when you don't even look at the bigger picture. The story of these individuals, these image bearers that God has made in his image about how they found themselves so destitute and so in need that they said, hey, I'm going to go to this payday loan place, even though the interest rates are astronomical and I will probably never be able to get out of this. They oftentimes don't know that going into it because they haven't been able to have financial advising and financial services that many people at higher socioeconomic status have. And so what happens is that these people get preyed upon. And they end up becoming the victims of a system that is inherently distorted by evil practices and people are making millions and millions, probably even billions of dollars off the backs of these individuals taking, really taking them for granted. And so how I see self-righteousness playing out in that is really the posture of those that really could be a voice in advocating for these individuals that they're actually being preyed upon. Instead, it's this posture of, well, it's their own fault. They should have never taken the loan in the first place. They should have read the fine print. You know, how many times I've heard that. And it's like, man, these people oftentimes haven't been educated like we have on those on those sort of practices. Can I add another one, AC? Yeah. I just it. think, um, I even think of things like historically, uh, when you look at, say, um, our Native American brothers and sisters and... I'm a Christian, so I'm going to pick on myself because I'm a Christian. But sometimes that as Christians that we think like because we know Christ, like we need to sort of acculturate or colonize everybody to live and be like us um, versus just being the faithful presence of Christ. And so I think historically we've seen this where I think Christians saw Native Americans as like savages, less than um, uneducated, needed to be, you know, brought into this 
Christian American way. And so you see something like um, Native American boarding schools that were built um, all over our country where Native children were stripped from their homes, brought to these boarding schools where they were forced to live. Um, Basically, the whole point of the boarding schools was, yes, to like teach them Christianity, but by stripping away every remnant of their Native culture. So cutting their hair, making them change the way they dressed. Um, And I I don't, I think it would be hard for Christians to look at that um, and say like, well, we didn't think we were self-righteous. We just thought we were doing what was best. But I think that even comes out of an attitude of um, their... They're not civilized savages who like need to learn the Bible versus um, a really humble, like faithful presence of Jesus. Instead, you just have this whole pretty much really unjust system that created a lot of trauma for a lot of the native families that grew up. I mean, before all of us in this country. So I just think even historically, you see where um, the roots of self-righteousness really cause problems for a lot of people, for whole people groups, like that whole systems can be created out of this idea um, that we're doing it right and they're not. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I I think of um, how felons are treated in our society. Yeah. Particularly in the reentry to society and how um, a lot of times the challenges they face are not met with compassion. No, like if you, I've been to Christian concerts where they've put on like, um, pictures of starving kids in Africa and like ask for money for wells and stuff. And like people are in tears and rightfully so. But if you were to put a, a, a video clip of a felon trying to get a job, it wouldn't elicit the same level of compassion. Totally. And a lot of it is due to the self-righteousness of the fact that, well, this isn't an innocent person. You know, they broke the law and they're dealing with the consequences of it because I didn't break the law. I'm entitled to a certain level of privilege that they're not. Now, when we talk about things on a systemic level and on a structural level, these things don't happen in a vacuum, and nor do they only happen through the lens of like looking at the wheels of history or through sociology, but that we are in what Ephesians describes as spiritual warfare. And a lot of that spiritual warfare, a lot of times we hear that and we think of like a lot of charismatic things or different things like that. We have different conceptions. But just this idea that um, our enemy is seeking to deceive us and seeking us, seeking to get hmm. us as a people to worship something other than God. Yeah. And so the, the vernacular that we use around redemption for that is idolatry and specifically cultural idolatry. You know, as a culture, as a people, what are the things that we ascribe ultimacy to? What are the the good things that are gifts of God's creation that we exalt to the highest level and take God's place? What cultural idols tend to produce legalism or self-righteousness in us, John? Yeah, I think uh, there, there's there's a lot that could be said on this one. There's a lot of cultural idols, but a few that come to mind just off off the top of my head. Um, first is consumerism. Um, this idea that the chief end of man is to consume material goods, services, experiences, whatever that is, and the way that that breeds self righteousness is now people's value and worth. The way that we actually assign um, and judge the amount of value and worth that they have is is actually by what they possess or what they don't possess. And when I say that, I mean by what material goods they have or what they don't have. And not only material goods, but now it's also been experiences as well. 
um, specifically because there's this minimalist movement right now. So a lot of people are still very consumeristic. It's all about, hey, I want to live in a tiny house and not have a ton of stuff, but I want to travel the world. I want to see all these amazing places. I want to have the best Instagram photos and all these followers. And there's still this very consumer-driven uh, self-righteousness where now we even, even if it's not the material stuff, as far as a big home, fancy car, Gucci shoes, you know, the, the whole deal. Hey. Louis, Louis, Gucci, Gucci, Fendi, Fendi, Prada. <laughs> it's uh, that was a plug. Go buy that. <laughs> if it's if it's not those things, it's still where you vacation, where you eat out, the photos that you have on your Instagram, and even how many Instagram followers you may have. Um, we actually deem people's value as individuals. Uh, not so much based on the dignity and value and worth that they have because they were made in the image of God, but by what they possess or where they go and what they do. And so I think that that's one. I think another one, it's a hot button issue, obviously, in our very, very divided culture and our context right now with politics and political ideology. But I feel like if we don't say it, we're doing a disservice here, um, but nationalism. I think that nationalism breeds self-righteousness, and nationalism and patriotism are two different things. Not talking about patriotism and being proud and grateful to God for the country you live in. I'm talking about nationalism, which believes that we are a superior people, or we come first, um, or that we should have certain things that other people don't have because where we're born. Um, and what what we then do is we believe, whether we explicitly state it or not, or whether it's just a, more of a subtle underlying belief beneath the surface, we believe that we're better than people that weren't born in our own country. And I think that that is very, very dangerous. And I think that it is, not only is it an idol, all of this stuff is in direct opposition to the gospel of the kingdom of God, but nationalism is directly, directly contrary to uh, what we see the kingdom of God to be like. Mm. Yeah, man, I can't, I can't help but shake the images of parents being separated from their children. Yeah. And this is not a, I'm not trying to prescribe policy. Totally. Because I don't know. Yeah. There's so many things I don't know. So I'm not saying we should have open borders, closed borders, how many people we should let in and what that process should look like. But whatever process that looks like, we shouldn't be ripping apart families and that that's just basic compassion but we don't view it that way if the yeah. self-righteousness is blocking our view absolutely i was just going to say it's one thing as far as not not prescribing policy but when you see families ripped apart do you feel compassion if you don't that should be a problem that should be a problem we should be moved with compassion to say that is not the way things are intended to be and if we're not moved with compassion, and if we say, oh, well, they're breaking the law, they deserve it, well, that's that should be a pretty good indicator of where your heart is at. Mm-hmm. And there, there should be a, a call to repentance as far as if you have the posture of they deserve it because they broke a law and they crossed a border, okay, like we're not debating laws here. What we're talking about is the heart and the posture of your heart is are you clean on the exterior? And interior, you're full of greed, selfishness, all of these things. The same critique and the woe that Jesus uh, indicted upon the Pharisees, is that you? Are you being blocked to have a posture and a heart towards compassion for things that should break your heart? Because we know they break God's heart. Mm. Mm. 
as Christians, as we begin to know Christ more intimately as individuals and as a community, one of the things that God, our hope and our prayer and the thing that we that we see God do is to begin to shape us into a contrast community. We give a preview of the coming kingdom in the same way that like a preview of the next Avengers movie. You see, I haven't seen the trailer of it because I... I don't want it to be ruined. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. The trailer gives away nothing. Ooh. Absolutely nothing. I Ooh. was actually really mad. Really? I was like, you give me no information on what's about to happen from this trailer. Sorry. I'm over it. I don't think you're over it, Emma. I'm over it. We could talk about it. Okay. Well, wait for this podcast <laughs> to be over. Um, so like the, the movie trailer for Avengers, you see the trailer and it makes you want to be a part of that experience. It makes you go, man, I want to see this movie. Or in Emma's case, it just makes you mad. But which the same thing with the church. That's, that's our role is to be that movie trailer so that people look at us and they see, wow, I want to be a part of the kingdom that's to come. Hmm. In our cultural context, Emma, what would it look like to be a contrast community when it comes to legalism and self-righteousness? So there's a few things I think about, but one of the things I think, um, if we're going to talk about living in the already and not yet, this part, like if there was a Venn diagram of the already and not yet, that part in the middle that crosses over and that's where we're living. If we're going to talk about living in that place as a contrast community, as a living as a foretaste or a preview of the kingdom that's coming, then something that we have got to get comfortable with is tension. We have to be able to say like, mm. hey, it's complicated. And if mm. we can't say it's complicated and live and learn to live, like pitch a tent in tension, then I don't think we're going to be able to faithfully embody the kingdom. Mm. Because like what John yes. was talking about, there is some things like policy is a part of, right? All of life is all for Jesus. So policy is there. And that is just something we're going to have to grapple with in our country. But for us to not have compassion for families that are being ripped apart, in the midst of, yes, there has to be policy that's enabled to, to run a country and protect people that live in it, right? Like the two of those together create unbelievable tension for me. And so I have to be able to, to live in the tension if I'm going to faithfully in the embody the kingdom of God. Um, and that comes with almost everything. Like I, I think faithfully embodying the kingdom is going to cause us to, to say it's complicated and learn to live in the tension. The other thing I think I would, I would think about is, Maybe something I would say incarnational engagement. Um, but I think, uh, Dr. John Perkins, he talks about this as he talks about like the church being moving into the community, um, to help transform a whole community, right? Through, through the presence of Jesus. But he talks about one of the first steps being relocation. And he's like, the benefit of relocation is that the needs of a community become your own needs. So you're not just yeah. sitting here from as an outsider perspective saying like, oh, those people need this. It's that you actually make the needs of, of the community your own needs. And so when we talk about being incarnational, like jumping in and embodying the kingdom by knowing people, by being a part of a community, not just by being an, a bystander, but being a participant, right? Not just like driving into to communities where you're like, oh, these people need me. Um, but being like, yo, I am a part of this and these are not just their needs, but they're my own needs. That's going to look like, yeah, engaging maybe parts of like our city that we like don't even know exist. That's going to like take relationships with 
with Muslims who like theologically, of course we don't agree, but like for me to have the attitude, the self-righteous attitude that as a Christian, I can learn nothing good from Mm. a Muslim. That is ridiculous and completely self-righteous. So for me to even come in with this humble posture and, and know that this thing is mutual. Like I don't just come in giving away the gospel and there's that, that there is a mutual, um, mutually beneficial relationship with my community, with the people of it. And if I don't come in with that posture and that belief that like there is something for me to learn from this community, then we miss it. We miss embodying the kingdom. Mm. And then the last thing I think about too is I think what's important for this is that we acquire and live in a lifestyle of repentance. That before God, if I don't go before God and see who I am, if I, if I think yeah. I'm Simon and I don't see myself as the woman, mm-hmm. if, if I'm the older son and I'm over here tripping because my dad is loving and forgiving my younger brother. Um, if, if I can't come out of those mindsets, then I will miss it. I will miss it. I will not be able to faithfully live in the already and not yet embodying the character of Christ. And so we have to live in a lifestyle of repentance where I'm co- constantly coming before God saying like, Lord, like uh, show me who I am a right. Like reveal, reveal the, the nature within me that is so far from you. And then to say, God, I confess this. And would you forgive me? Just a constant like lifestyle of being able to identify my sin, my stupid mentalities, the, the judgments I make on a regular basis that no one can see but me and the before the Holy Spirit who mm. convicts me and just to constantly confess and repent and see myself as I rightfully am and be sent forth with the Spirit of God behind me to embody Jesus. That's that's, that's good. so good. That's so yeah. good. I, I love that that lifestyle of repentance. Because I've heard a lot of times people talk about I think John Calvin may have opened his book this way, but they talk about these two great things we have to do is know God and know ourselves. And to be honest with you, like that sounded kind of hokey to me. Like, what if you know ourselves? Like the Bible yeah. says, love mm-hmm. God and love your neighbor. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if we're not continually coming before God on our knees in repentance saying, mm-hmm. this is who I am. That's what confess means in the Greek to say the same thing as mm-hmm. to, to agree with God that this is my actual state before you, that I fall short of your glory and that everything I do is tainted and distorted by sin. Then that's, if I have that correct view of myself, then it gives me the right lens to see others through yeah. as opposed to a lens of I'm good. I got this. I put my trust in Jesus like 10 years ago and I've been reading my Bible faithfully. This person's on drugs, whatever it is, like this, this self-righteousness then blocking my view of who this person actually is and able to love my neighbor. Hmm. John, what do you think are some healthy habits yeah. that we can incorporate on an individual level, on an RC level, community church-wide level, at any level, what are some healthy habits we can incorporate so that we can begin to see ourselves and others in a more clear way and show compassion. I think there's five healthy practices or habits that are really helpful, which I would even say are necessary, not only for um, dealing with our own sin and self-righteousness, but also as a way forward to move towards compassion. The first one is prayer, which you guys just hit on, so I'm not going to rehash that, but we have to be praying because... We're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of self-righteousness, and we need the power of the Spirit to essentially enable us to see people the way that God sees them. Um, So prayer. The second one I would say is community. We need to be in true biblical community 
where we can actually be known and know other people. And the reason why is because we are blind. We've got blinders to our own sin, to our own patterns, to our own thoughts. And our friends and our community that love us enough to say, hey, I want to point this out to you in love, not just calling you out, but I want to walk alongside you through this. I see that this has been something you've said, or this is your posture towards this person or or this sort of issue, and we want to walk with you through that. And maybe I've been blind to that, and so we need community. Then we need, you guys talked about repentance. We need, I, I would have said confession as far as we need to confess where we have sinned. We need to confess the ways that we wrongfully see people, the way that we are self-righteous and to confess it not only to God, but confess it to our community too, to say, hey, I'm confessing that this is my sin. Would you guys help me? Would you walk alongside me in this? And then I think the other two, um, the, the last two, would be hospitality, specifically around the table, sharing meals with people. And we see this in the life of Jesus. This is something that Jesus did all through the Gospels as far as table fellowship, sharing meals with people, and the the one that piggybacks off it that goes with sharing meals is having a posture of listening. Mm-hmm. And so around the table, listening to people. And the reason why I think that that is necessary for moving towards a posture and a heart of compassion that is powered by the Spirit, is that when you start to hear people's stories, and you start to hear where people have come from, or where people are currently at, um, and you're sharing life with them, it's really hard not to be compassionate. Because once again, the one thing that self-righteousness blinds us to is not only compassion, but it's grace, which is the very essence and nature of what we say we're saved by God's grace. And it blinds us because it makes us think that we're not as bad as someone else. When really around the table, when you're sharing meals and you're hearing someone's story, you realize I'm equally as capable of having been in that same place, or I'm equally as capable of doing that same thing. And whether that's anything from being previously in prison for a crime, whether that is current addiction, whether that's somebody that has committed adultery, whatever it may be. I mean, the list can go on and on and on, right? Or even using the predatory lending from earlier, sitting across the table from somebody that has been preyed on as a victim and you get to hear their story. Man, it is so hard to not be moved to compassion when you're in relationship with people, hearing their story, realizing, man, I... I am equally capable of being in that same place. It's only by God's grace that he's given me what I have. And I think that that, that those are the five kind of practices that I would say to deal with our own sin, but also move towards a a heart of compassion. That's really good. Got anything you want to add, Emma? You got the final word. Final word. Does anybody know who Shai Lin is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so Shylin. that the theology. Only who wrote a song about limited atonement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, he's like an old school Christian rapper. But he wrote, I mean, not wrote, he had an album like going through every, all the Pauline epistles, 13 mm-hmm. letters. Um, And I don't remember which one, which song it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember which song this was in, but he has a line in there. And the line was, uh, he said, he, it goes, they talk about the law, they talk about the law, they twist in the law, they twist in the law. And then he says, the law is the tutor that leads us to Christ. By faith justified, he gives us life. And so 
as we just finished this and we're talking about like legalism and self-righteousness, hmm. I think when we see the holiness of God, right, the law of God, how we want to be a holy people set apart to bless the nations, like the church's mission, that's what we're doing. I think the law really exposes that we can't follow it. That we will never, we can't do it perfectly. We need Jesus. We need a savior. Um, and so the law leads us to Christ. It's not there that we would follow it and then be like, yeah, pop our collars one time. Like, yeah, we got this. But that our deficiencies and being able and not being able to follow the law perfectly um, should lead us to Christ. And then Christ leads us through a, through a spirit to compassion um, for his people. And so anyways, mm-hmm. I don't know what I. I just wanted to rap Shailin on the the mic. That's really what I wanted to do. M-I-T. (laughs) M-I-T in the house. (laughs) Thank you so much, Emma and John, for being on this episode of the podcast. And thank you guys for listening. We will catch you next week.